word. Father, we just want to say thanks for your goodness, thanks for your faithfulness, thanks for your grace, thanks for the opportunity to worship you, and maybe even more so that you bend your ear to hear our worship and you're blessed by it. And we pray now that as we open your word, you speak to us and uh, train us up in the way we should go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know what you guys do, uh, but it's sort of my tradition at the end of the year, every year, I take the week sort of between Christmas and New Year's, and that's a week that I just sort of devote to seeking the Lord for the coming year, asking God to give direction, asking God to give vision, asking God to inspire uh, for my own personal life, for my family, for for the people of Grace Fellowship, all of that kind of stuff. And I've talked about this a little bit before because uh, at the end of 2019, I went about that process just as I always do. And um, I'm not a person who typically hears like the voice of God ringing from the crowd, uh, from the clouds, I should say, saying, dog, it's time to get a haircut. He never says that to me anyway, now that I think of it, but, or those kind of things. Um, If I hear the voice of God, I've usually got the Bible open and that's how I hear God's voice most often. But like uh, any of us that have the Holy Spirit, there are times when I just sense the Lord moving in my heart and prompting me about something or some issue, calling me to pray about something, calling me to do something. And, and as I was seeking the Lord at the end of 2019 and praying for direction, I just had this deep abiding sense that would not go away that I need to be praying for the unity of the family of God. And that made total sense to me, as I've shared with some of you before. It, made, it seemed logical to me because, after all, I knew that there was an election coming in 2020, and I knew that it was likely to be a contentious election. Were any of you shocked that it was a contentious election? No, we knew that was coming. And so I was praying just for the body of Christ because I knew that politics can be divisive. And so I was just praying that God would help the church, both Grace Fellowship and the, and the Universal Church to, to hold on to the things that bind us together the most and not be separated by the lesser things that can divide us. And, uh, but I just felt this abiding sense that I need to keep praying for unity in the body of Christ. Well, little did I know that the whole world was gonna blow up in 2020. Little did I know that in the early part of 2020, there was going to be racial tension that was going to become explosive and that there was going to be serious, serious backlash to that, that there was going to be marches and there was going to be movements and there were even going to be riots as a result of all of that. I didn't know that that was coming. I did not know that there was going to be this little tiny microscopic virus that was going to have such a powerful impact on separating people, right? It separated us physically, it separated us socially, it separated us emotionally, and eventually it began to separate us ideologically, right? All because of the terrible virus and the pandemic, and then of course the election did take place, and of course it was divisive, and, and at election time, it became sort of not just about choosing a candidate, but it became for many people about choosing a camp, 
this is my camp or this is my camp and then that camp is going to be the camp that I side with on all issues and all of that kind of stuff. So the people just felt this sense that I gotta either get on this side or I have to get on that side and then the people that are on the other side are not my people anymore and all of that was going on. Um, and then, you know, the, the issue of how do we deal with COVID? Do we shut down schools and businesses? Do we give the government more authority than we're used to giving them? Do we wear masks? Do we get vaccines? Do we do all that kind of stuff? And I'm guessing that none of you has an opinion on any of that stuff, but some of the people that I've talked to have had strong opinions on all of those things, and amazingly, not every Christian shares the same opinion on any of those things. But we have this sort of now um, set of camps that we stand in, and they divide us. And so little did I know back in glorious 2019, when the world was as we used to know it, little did I know that there was a storm a-brewing, and that that was why the Lord was putting on my heart to just pray for um, unity in the church. And so I have been talking about this issue. I talk about it um, periodically. I think it's probably the number one issue that is facing the body of Christ today, at least in the United States, this issue of how do we come together even though there are so many things that separate us. So if you've heard me talk about these things before, hopefully I might say something today that you haven't heard before, haven't thought of, or that the Lord uses to minister to you, but I just wanna give us a chance to to sort of think through all of this. Because I think we're almost to the point now where we don't have to keep talking about how hard it was in 2020. Save it for your grandkids. Tell them about that one day. Um, because we're halfway through 2021 now. Um, for the most part, uh, the riots and the marches have uh, died down. For the, the elections are over. Um, the society is beginning to reopen in new ways. Kids are going back to school. Adults are going back to work. Things are getting back to what we now will probably refer to as the new normal, even though it's not exactly as it used to be. But unfortunately, part of that new normal is that people in this country, and by the way, people around the world, let me just stop for a little side note here. Man, I really, really hope you're praying for the COVID issues in other countries right now. As things get better and better here, in several countries, they're getting worse and worse. We have numerous ministry partners throughout Africa who are struggling immensely right now. The whole nation of Uganda is on a 42-day mandatory shutdown. This is a nation where you go every day to the market to buy your food, where people don't have refrigeration, where this means there's gonna be a food shortage this means people are starving. This means people are dying. And I have numerous, numerous friends in Uganda, and I'm hearing on almost a daily basis from somebody who lost another loved one. It's really tough. So as we sort of take a deep breath and go, isn't it great that now so many people are vaccinated and the numbers are down and all of that kind of stuff? Things are not great everywhere. So it's not just an American issue that we're talking about, but um, as we get to this new normal, even here in the United States, we find ourselves, as a result of all that we've been going through, in a place where we're more divided on more issues than we ever have been before. And by now, most of us have chosen our camps. 
And by now, we're pretty comfortable letting those camps think for us. We're getting pretty comfortable letting those camps uh, speak for us. We're getting pretty comfortable letting those camps tell us how to act. And some of us find ourselves sort of living in echo chambers where we watch our news station and not the other guy's news station. And we're on our websites and not the other guy's websites. And we have our friends and they're not like the other guy's friends and all that kind of stuff. And so we're getting more and more deeply divided during a time like this. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you those things that are dividing us are not important. Many of them are very important. Many of them are absolutely legitimate. Many of them are appropriate for us to have strong opinions about. Many of them, uh, many of our concerns are valid. And many of the things that divide us are significant. But as Christians, as Christians, how are we supposed to respond to a situation like we find ourselves in with this level of divisiveness? Isn't what we, now, now I'm speaking to Christians here, so if you're here visiting with us today and you're like checking out the Jesus thing or you just some friend dragged you to church and now you're stuck listening to some bald guy talk about God knows what, if, if that's you, uh, bear with us. You're gonna get a glimpse through the window of kind of what we're dealing with in the church because this message today is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But I just wanna say this to you. Isn't what we have in common as Christians, supposed to be more important than all of the things that separate us. Okay, good, I was hoping somebody would say something there. Um, so, so now that so many of the restrictions are being lifted and um, we face this question, how are we supposed to climb out of this pit as the church? How we start, how are we supposed to start marching together as the family of God. So I'm gonna do something that's really weird for us, a little bit different, we don't usually do it. Uh, I'm gonna ask everybody that's in this room to stand up. If you're outside in the tent, I'm asking you to stand up if you're physically able. If you're not able, that's okay. Um, and even if you're at home watching this live, yes, I'm talking to you. If you're at home watching this live and you're willing to be so bold as to go out on a limb in your own living room, I'm gonna ask you to stand up too. And together, as a church, I want us to read the scripture out loud together. And the scripture is going to go up on the screen, and it is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let's read it together. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Congratulations, you did it. Sit down. Say, you know, Pastor, you could just read us this scripture or tell us where it is. We'll look it up later. But here's the deal. I want us to read that together. I want us with one voice to say it out loud together. I want us, because we are one family, to be able to speak together as a family from the word of God about what God's plan is for us, the church. 
And that plan has to do with not wavering because he who promised is faithful and therefore we have to consider. I love that word consider. Don't just blow this off. Don't just walk out of here today and give this no more thought. But God is commanding you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to actually give consideration to this. Consider how I might spur on the other Christians in my life, how I might stimulate the other believers in my church family toward love and good deeds. I'm supposed to make that important and I'm supposed to make sure that I don't forsake the importance of gathering together with other people in the church. Now you can imagine, guess what? They didn't just put this verse in the Bible. It didn't just pop up as soon as the pandemic slowed down. This verse has been haunting me and other pastors for the last year and a half. We've all been grappling with it. We've all been struggling with this. Let, let's not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And different churches have taken different approaches to this. Some have said that means we have to all be in the same room and that means we have to be inside. And, that, and Others have said, no, no, it's the 21st century. We can gather together online. I just praise God that before all of this stuff happened, we already had this amazing backbone in our church called grace groups where people were connected to one another and could stay connected to one another, even if most of that had to be done online. But, but this has not been easy for church leaders in um, the last year and a half to figure out how do we actually obey this verse. And so I want you to know, um, I've been giving lots of grace to pastors and churches who are making a different decision than we've been making here at Grace Fellowship. And I hope they would give grace to us because there's not been a script for this. We haven't known what to do. We've been having to seek God and figure this out as we go. But the bottom line is this passage held true during the pandemic and this passage holds true today and this passage is gonna hold true when we've been in heaven for a billion years. That's how significant this is. I love the story I read about a guy by the name of Gary Clark. Um, Gary and his friend Steve Barbin grew up in the same small town in Connecticut, Fairfield, Connecticut. They grew up together. They were best friends from the time they were little. And they stayed best friends for their entire lives. For 25 years, they did everything together. They talked every day. They spent time together. They went on double dates together. They did everything together. These guys were inseparable for 25 years. And one day, um, uh, Gary gets a call out of the blue shortly after his parents had passed and he gets a call from a social worker explaining that in going through the records from his parents they discovered and he, they, they wanted to make sure he knew that he was actually adopted. And he never knew. And of course, that would be a shock to the system, Right? But after he had some time to work through it and think about it, it kind of made him smile because it was just another thing that he had in common with Steve who was also adopted. And so they you know, shared that in common, they began to do some digging and after a while, you know what they found out? They were brothers. <laughs> they had been brothers all along. 
And they, they wrote a whole story about these guys and amazing how they had had this connection and then they went, aha, now I get it. Now I know why I'm connected to this guy in ways I'm not connected to anybody else. There's something, right, about siblings. Now get a picture in your mind of your siblings. Throw out the couple you don't like. Get the, get the picture of your mind of your siblings. Think about growing up and all that kind of stuff. And think about the connection that you have with siblings, even though they drive you absolutely batty sometimes. There is a deep, deep connection, right? That is what God has in mind for his church. That he doesn't call us just acquaintances, he doesn't call us just friends, he doesn't call us just members of the same organization, we don't just wear the same funny hats when we come to our meetings, he actually calls us family. He calls us brothers and sisters, he calls us siblings. Now, I want you to take your Bibles uh, and turn to the book of Ephesians. So, uh, Ephesians is a New Testament book, one of the letters of Paul. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. You'll find Galatians and then Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to just follow along. I won't make you stand up and read it out loud. You can just follow along with me this time. But in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, let me read it to you. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. I love the beginning of Ephesians. That is so, so rich in good, good news. God, you know, predestined us to adoption. He comes along and picks us up as as orphans because of our sin and he makes us his own children and, and and he gives us the full inheritance of his children and he makes us brothers and sisters with one another in the process that he does that. But I want you to notice something in that passage that we just read. Look at all the plural pronouns. It doesn't say, uh, and he adopted me. It doesn't say he adopted you. What does it say? He adopted us. And they're all those plural pronouns. This is a metaphor that God uses over and over in the New Testament to describe his people. He calls us a family. In fact, the term brothers or or brothers and sisters or brethren, depending on your translation, shows up 148 times from Acts to Revelation. And it's almost never referring to biological siblings. It's always referring, or almost always, referring to actually spiritual siblings, 148 times. I made Pastor Ricky look it up and count every one of them this week so he could help me with that. Um, take your Bibles, and if you're in Ephesians, just turn a few pages to the right, go, go about three books to the right, you'll find 1 Thessalonians, and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Let me just give you a couple of examples of this. In 1 Thessalonians 
chapter four, beginning in verse nine. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more to excel still more in treating one another as brothers and sisters with intense, unbreakable love. Now keep going to the right. Um, not too long before you get to the book of Revelation, you find the letters of Peter, First and Second Peter. Go to First Peter chapter one. And in First Peter chapter one, I wanna just read to you verse 22. It says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And, and the New Testament is just filled with verses like this, where we are commanded to go above and beyond what we do with anybody else, to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he wasn't talking about a building. He, he was not talking even about an organization. He was talking about a family. He was talking about people whose hearts and lives are woven together. The relationships that all Christians share in the family of God are really important, you guys. And that's why Romans 12.10 commands us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I love that. It doesn't just say love one another. It says be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And every time I hear that word devoted or devotion, it always brings me back to my high school basketball days because that was my coach's favorite word. And any time that you know, everybody else was running and you were down here sucking wind, he would go, hey Spriggs, where's your devotion? <clears throat> Get up and run again, right? Or if you went to him and said, hey, coach, um, I need to leave practice a little bit early today. I have a dental appointment. He would say, do you think I care if your teeth fall out? Where's your devotion? <laughs> right? Or, or if, you know, it would be like uh, finals week and he would, he would say, we're gonna have an extra practice. And we go, coach, we got finals. And he would say, you think I care if you pass trigonometry? Where's your devotion? Over and over, I just hear his voice. It's the only thing I remember that he taught me about basketball. Where's your devotion? Where's your devotion? And his point was this. Devotion means going above and beyond the easy parts. Devotion means hard work. Devotion means intense practice. It means um, effort. It means commitment. It means devotion. But when we make that kind of investment in one another, the world watches. And people who are trying to figure out about this whole Jesus thing and the gospel and whether there's reality to eternal life and which of the many gods they're supposed to choose from, they're watching the people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And the interesting thing about that is because um, when they see that level of love and devotion to one another, it gets their attention. You know why? Because people aren't that devoted to each other at work. People aren't that devoted to one another in their neighborhoods. 
People aren't that devoted to one another in their biological families. And so when people love each other with that kind of devotion, the world sets up and takes notice. That's why Jesus said in John 13, they will know you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. That's the mark. I know that you know, we're, we're pressured these days to think the mark of a true Christian is voting with the right party. I know we feel a little bit pressured these days to feel that the mark of a true Christian is whether or not you get a vaccine. I know that we are pressured these days to think that the mark of a true Christian is a bumper sticker that goes on the back of your car that people can't read it because you're speeding by them so fast to begin with. But Jesus, who kind of has some insight into this, says, no, the mark of a true disciple is your love for one another. People stand up and take notice. The kind of loving family relationships that exist in the church are incredibly important. And I've said this so many times. When I go through a really hard time, or my, my family goes through a tragic loss or there's a, you know, a serious need and somebody's out of work, somebody's in the ICU, somebody's making arrangements at the cemetery when it's a really tough time. I have said so many times, I feel so sorry for people who don't have a church family to lift them up through that kind of a time. I have no idea what I would do without you guys. I have no idea. I don't know how I would have possibly gotten through the hardships, how I would have possibly celebrated the great times. I don't know how I would have done life all of these years without you guys. And that's why I find it so strange that for some Christians, the local church is just a series of programs. The local church is a series of activities that I either attend or don't attend. God designed the church to be so much more I mean, it's like God has this one picture of what the church is supposed to be and, and we just sort of accept in this culture an entirely different picture. The other picture, you know, God has this picture where he's like, yeah, I want it to be like a deep, committed, loving marriage, a covenant relationship. And then, and then so many of the Christians I know treat their relationships in the church like a swipe left or swipe right dating app. It's just, you know, whatever works for me right now. An invitation to know Christ is an invitation to be adopted into his family, and that means a built-in support system. To be adopted into the family means someone to call on when you need someone to call on. To be adopted into the family means someone to pray with when you need someone to pray with. Someone to get counsel from when you really need counsel. Someone to offer counsel to when they really need counsel. Someone to minister to. Someone to minister to you. Someone to minister alongside of. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It means bearing one another's burdens. It means teaching one another. It means admonishing, and that means challenging from time to time one another in love. It means encouraging one another. It means serving one another. All these one another's of the New Testament, there's just a massive list of them. It means sharing values. It means being on mission together. 
That's the privilege of what it is to be in the family of God. That's why this is such a strange season for the church. Let me just speak frankly. On the one hand, I'm talking about Grace Fellowship now. On the one hand, we are reaching more people today through that camera and, and through that interweb thingy. We're reaching more people today by multiple, multi, multiple factors than we have ever reached in the past because technology makes it possible to do that. And so this morning, if, if it's like every other Sunday, and this week, if it's like every other week, we'll have people that are in other, on other continents who are connecting to this message and this worship service uh, online. And, and people are spread all around the world. That is an amazing thing. I could have never seen that coming. I had no idea God had that in mind. And it also means that because we can do that, it means that if you're sick today, you don't have to be here. You can be home and you can still participate in the worship with your local church. It means that there's some other reason that distance or, or just a difficulty makes it uh, hard or impossible for you to be here. You don't actually have to be in this room to be a part of what's going on on a Sunday morning or many of the other things that we offer now in ministry being available online. That is a really good thing, but let's be honest, it ain't the same. That was your amen chance. <laughs> People at home were saying amen. It ain't the same. And, and there's something very special about being together with your church family. So this puts us as church leaders in this weird quandary where it's like, well, what do we do? Do we promote, hey, join us online. Everything's great online. Be with us online. Or do we go, you know what? If you're online, you're missing something. The truth is, both of those things are good. I just want to say this, and, and you know, maybe I'm preaching the choir, I don't know, but I'm going to just say this. If you have a choice about whether to gather with people, your, your health doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, your circumstances don't mean it's an unwise idea, if you can gather with the people of your church family, by all means, do it. The, the internet option is a phenomenal option. It exists when, for whatever other reason, you can't do it in a way that breeds deep relationships with one another because those deep relationships are absolutely essential to us. So now that we have a good online presence as a church, I am so proud of our tech team. <laughs> I'm so proud of the job that they do pulling this off and making this work. Please take advantage of that. Please, whenever the circumstances require you to be away, don't miss out. Connect with us through the internet. It's a great way to do that. You can fill out prayer requests. You can talk to one another. There's so many ways we can do that. We need each other. That's why you should take advantage of it when you have to. But when you have a choice, be here. And by here, I don't mean necessarily just Sunday morning. I don't care if you miss a Sunday morning now and then. Boy, the statistics are changing on that. The average person now that is a, considers himself a committed member of their church attends a Sunday morning worship service less than twice a month. That's it's mind-boggling, but that's been the change in our society over the last two decades. So I understand 
that you might not be here every Sunday morning. I don't measure your spiritual strength by whether you're here every Sunday morning. What I'm saying is that there are many opportunities for us in the body of Christ to be together, to pray together, to worship together, to build into one another's lives, to challenge one another, to high five each other and hug necks. We need to take advantage of those opportunities because the body of Christ has been starving for this. I'm so glad our kids are in Kids Connection. So glad they're there with friends where they're connecting and going, oh, I'm growing socially again. I'm learning how to do this again. We need it. We need each other and we need to be together. I wanna give you one more passage real quick. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. You were in Ephesians earlier in chapter one. I want you to go to Ephesians. I said chapter five because I was testing you. It's really Ephesians chapter two. Go to Ephesians chapter two. And while you're turning there, it's a very famous passage. By grace you've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a free gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. And then we come to verse 10 of Ephesians chapter two, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which is why you hear me read it all the time. Here it is again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We've been saved by grace, we've been saved through faith, it is not by works, it's all God's work, and in saving us, he has made us his workmanship, and I can never teach this verse without reminding you that the Greek word for workmanship is a word from which we get the English word poem or work of art. What is he saying? He's saying, you are God's work of art. You are God's opus. You are God's symphony. You are God's poem. You are God's painting. And I want you to notice that again, it doesn't say, I am his workmanship. In fact, verses eight and nine, it uses the the singular pronoun, you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. But then when it gets to verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. We, all of these individual works of art, come together to be a great work of art. So, so picture it like, you know, you are a brush stroke in a painting. That when all the brush strokes come together, the painting is beautiful. You are a tile in a mosaic. Where when all the tiles come together, you have an incredible work of art. You are the word in a poem. You are the note in a symphony. You are the instrument in an orchestra. But we are the symphony. We are the orchestra. We are the mosaic. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We can't be it by ourselves. So this divisiveness that we see popping up on all of these issues of great importance, some of them, and some of them, frankly, kind of ridiculous, but all of these things that we choose to allow ourselves to be separated over, they are not the will of God to separate us. There, I said it, okay? So notice I didn't say which party is not the will of God. (laughs) You figure that out. I didn't say, you know, which belief about vaccines is not the will of God. I didn't say any of that stuff. What I'm saying is, it is not the will of God for those things to separate us when the blood of Jesus Christ brings us together. Every one of us is indispensable. Each of us is unique individuals, but a piece of great artwork when we're together. And the same is true, the same concept, Philippians 1.6 is kind of the, um, 
the theme verse for our church. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the days of Christ Jesus. That word you there is a plural you in the Greek. It means all y'all. That's the idea. He's saying that the work he began in all of y'all, the Philippian church or the Church of Grace Fellowship or the American church, whatever you wanna say, that the work that he's begun in us, he will perfect because it's when we are together that the work of art shines. We're in this together and that's a good thing. That's by God's design. That's why Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake gathering together. What you share in common with those in your political party is important, but it pales in comparison to what you share in common with the family of God. What you share in common with, with uh, people of the same race as you are, is very, very important and valuable, but it pales in comparison to what you share in common with the people in the body of Christ. That what you share in common with people of the same generation, the, the same gender, the same whatever, whatever the sameness is that you share with other people, it's not unimportant. We should not treat it as unimportant. We should show respect to that. But all of that is meaningless when compared to the immensity of what we share together in the body of Christ. And we just can't be a reflection of Jesus unless we do it together. That's how he designed it. So today, we're gonna have baptisms. We're gonna celebrate as a church family because people have come into a saving relationship with Jesus and they're gonna talk about how God's changing their life as we dunk them under the water. It's gonna be great. And some of you probably are gonna offer me money to get in the water too once you get outside and see how it feels. We can talk, we can talk. We'll work something out. Today, we're gonna receive new members, which for us at this church is a covenant relationship. And I hope it means more to you today because of what we've just looked at in the word of God. Today, we're gonna be dedicating children to the Lord. That's something you do as a church family. It's not just something you do as a parent. It's something you do as a church family because there's a covenant that we enter into together to say, I am gonna invest in your child. I'm gonna make sure that you as a family are doing well. I'm gonna support your efforts as a parent to raise that child in godliness. Um, and, then, and then some would say most importantly, Importantly, we're gonna eat together. Now you go, oh, you're just so full of it. Eating together is not that important. Really? Read the book of Acts and tell me how important it is. <laughs> All throughout the book of Acts, it says that they took their meals together. It says it over and over and over again. There's something about sharing a table together that, is, uh, that brings people together. And so uh, that's why I always insist that we have food around here. <laughs> this summer, we have a vision. It's all about connecting and reconnecting with God and with each other. That's what we're gonna be devoted to. Friendships, prayer groups, grace groups, youth ministry, children's ministry, young adults, wherever you find yourself, whatever your fit is, men's ministry, women's ministry, I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, make the connection. Make the effort. And if I happen to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, where's your devotion? You'll know what I mean. We're the family of God. We're the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Let us be devoted to one another and inspire one another to love 
and good deeds. Let's pray. Father, we just wanna say thank you because you haven't just um, left us alone. We thank you that, that just our individual salvation is so much more we could ever deserve, but in that, you still made us your workmanship. We thank you, God, that the gifts that we lack, you've given to others in the body of Christ. We thank you that our weaknesses are made strong by the strength of others in the body of Christ. We thank you that there is wisdom available to us from others in the body of Christ. We thank you that there is support and encouragement and yes, even challenges that come from being siblings with these people. And we ask you, God, to help us to walk in that love. And we'll give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name, amen.